Welcome to Interchange. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit. Interchange was founded inside of Bond, the embedded finance company, as a place for conversation, questioning, and open learning about the future of embedded finance. Our guest today is Roy Ng, CEO at Bond. We started Interchange to tell the stories of those building the future of embedded finance. Of course, Roy is a key player in that future as a co-founder. He has a storied history from tech-focused investment banking at Goldman Sachs to technology startups as an executive in an impressive array of successful companies, including his time as COO at Twilio. In this episode, we dig into Roy's family history, coming to America, and what about his experience drove him to co-found Bond. And of course, we dig into the incredible amount of knowledge he's built through his years of operating. I hope you enjoy our interchange. Take me back to the to the early days of Roy before you were running corporations, taking corporations public, building startups, all of the things that you do today. Like what was your what was your childhood like and what was what was it that kind of drove you to financial services out of that childhood? Yeah. Just to back up completely, right? I was born uh, in Hong Kong. Finance is you know a very big part of people's lives there. And um, yeah, I moved to the States when I was 10. Yeah, as an immigrant, it is, it is quite challenging coming here. I uh, remember we had bought a house and we needed to get things like a new refrigerator. And, and so uh, one of uh, our relatives who live in the States basically told us, hey, go to Sears and buy a few items that you need anyway, put it on the Sears card and you could get started there. And so we did exactly that. After about six to nine months, uh, we started applying for credit cards again, and we, uh, we, we, we were able to get them. You know, starting a cold start in, 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 in financial services in the U.S. Is, is really hard. You know, that, that was also a very big uh, learning for me, right? How do we assimilate? How do we survive in this new country? And so I went on to Berkeley for my undergrad. I studied both political science and business big part of it was to kind of go run for office and work in policy. And, um, you know, how do we kind of level the playing field? And that's still a kind of big, big um, topic for me, both from, I think, I think leveling the financial services kind of playing field, but also leveling the playing field for young people. From there, uh, when went back into financial services, I joined Goldman. Uh, I thought I was going to do it for a couple of years and applied to law school, uh, ended up being a decade, I had the privilege of working with great tech companies uh, in the East, small little startups like Baidu, Tencent, and a number of others. And um, small little startups like Baidu and Tencent. That's a funny sentence. Back then. But back then, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But today, that's a hilarious sentence. Exactly. And um, and then I was asked by Goldman to come back and help the firm basically focus on the enterprise software practice out here on the West Coast. What kept you in that space for so long when you were thinking you were going to go back to law school? Goldman is a great firm. I interned at Goldman when I was an, as an undergrad. It was a private company. 98 was when I uh, did my first internship at Goldman. I've always kind of loved the culture uh, of Goldman, especially back in the kind of pre-IPO days. It was an apprenticeship type of uh, a culture. And uh, they gave me a ton of opportunities. When I went to Asia, you know, I had a lot of latitude in terms of working with customers um, because, because the 
the offices in Asia were more thinly staffed. You had much smaller teams working with customers. And so I still remember a few months uh, into me landing in uh, Hong Kong, I was already working on deals directly with a VP or an MD. And this is, you know, get out of college, right? Yeah. And so, you know, compared to some of my friends who ended up in New York and other kind of bigger centers, you know, the teams were very well staffed. So you're kind of basically bottom of the totem pole <laughs> and in supporting a, a big team. You got to take on a lot of responsibilities very early. It was very formative for me. In some yeah. ways, it was not just a career. It was kind of forming my more global view on on kind of how business is done and how people live. You know, I want to build companies that also are able to afford you know, our employees to have, you know, experiences like this. What have you drawn forward into building a culture at Bond and kind of especially, I guess, the filter of how has that worked for you during COVID? Let's talk about kind of pre-COVID first and having the benefit of working for, you know, great companies with great cultures um, like uh, Goldman, like Success Factors, uh, Twilio, and Jeff did a you know, phenomenal job kind of building a phenomenal culture. You know, you could have the best idea in the world. You could have the best product in the world, but you know, without the right culture, you know, it's 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 fairly hard to execute. What I learned through my operating experiences is really around. Yes, you need to understand the business model implications. You need to understand the product and how it serves your customers, but the people are who are going to do it with you is just as important. So Yen and I focused a lot of time um, early days on, on culture. And one of the first things we wanted to nail down was how do we get aligned on culture? Like what's important to us as, as we continue to grow the team. And we came up with what we call the, you know, bond DNA, as you know it, right. These are kind of the six principles that, you know, we hold near and dear to our hearts, right. Raising the bar, putting people first, demanding transparency, driving with passion, question every assumption and debate quickly and commit. And now for the elephant in the room, I think, you know, all of that is, is very clear to me. I mean, I joined the company after having met you, having met Yan in person. And then about a week later, the world shut down and I was, you know, I was about to board a plane to go to San Francisco. And I was, it was very clear to me that everything was, as you just said, right. It was kind of at least for an early stage startup, there's always problems, but it was kind of roses, right? Like things were going well. Everybody was pretty aligned as it's especially easy to do at a team that size. But now we go from what, 24 employees to like 50 something in the course of a year or so, a lot of growth in a small amount of time. And you've barely met any of these people in person. So how have you and you and Yan and the rest of the executive team kind of gone about taking that forward into the age yeah. of Zoom? It's not easy. It's not easy. I, I will tell you, Zach, I think when Zoom first happened, meaning does work from home remote, right. I was actually kind of like, wow, it's pretty efficient. I yeah. can jump from meeting to meeting and get a lot done. So you, you initially feel a little bit of this efficiency gain. And I think, you know, you as well as a number of others have kind of told me, oh yeah, it's not that bad, blah, blah. But I do think a year in, it's worn on people, right? Like having to just sit in front of your computer and not have like human interaction and not being able to just kind of, oh, let's go grab lunch and, and, and chat about some stuff and just get to know each, each and every single one of the team members. I think it's challenging. Frankly, for me, I can't wait to kind of be able to kind of meet people in person and just still having some sort of physical space, uh, you know, to meet up, to whiteboard and, 
you know, just to work with people in person yeah. as well. And see each other, read body oh, language. The last time we met was at lunch, literally exactly. like at lunch in Kansas City. Yeah. And I was very much looking forward to hanging out like when you're in San Francisco and all of a sudden, boom, all, all the airports basically shut. And uh, you're, you're basically, we just haven't like hung out since. Yeah, it was very sudden. I feel like I drove you guys to the airport. You got on the plane and then they said, and we're done. That's the last flight for the next year. And we're just going to go from here. I kind of I go back to those principles that you laid down, right? Specifically the putting people first one. I see a lot of things that have happened over the last year potentially going awry if you don't have some of these things written down and have them kind of set in stone, right? So one thing as an example for me that's been really helpful is these the mental health days. We have mental health days once a month. The happy hours, all that stuff, the get to know you stuff is so valuable. But at the end of the day, people still have a hard time putting themselves out there on Zoom, right? Like you're you're oh. the you're the CEO and you're constantly, I see, trying to pull people out. Like, come on, give me something. Let's have some fun here, you know? So it's it's great that we have those things. But also one of the things that I value the most is the time that we have to recharge and actually have some balance, which in the world of finance and technology and everything else is not something you find often. Well, I mean, look, I, the, the, the thing... I also do is like, I remember when we first moved to our home offices, I'm like, wow, my chair is super uncomfortable. Wow. The lighting really is not great. Mm. Um, I think I need a bigger monitor. And immediately, you know, I was sharing with the exec team, we should have, we, we should provide stipend to employees for the home office. Like if I'm feeling it, like every employee is feeling it, it's, it's just that initial shock. Right. So I always kind of use myself as a kind of, at least a starting point in terms of, well, wow, like doing Zoom five days a week, every single day is really exhausting. You know, if I'm feeling it, I'm probably pretty sure everybody else is feeling it. And so how do I kind of have that level of empathy for, for every member of the team? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good rule of thumb. And I don't know if you can hear it. I tried to soundproof my windows with padding from my couch in order so that you couldn't hear this. But right now we're having uh, we're having our regular first Wednesday uh, tornado alarm in Kansas City. So wow. I don't know if you can hear it, but if you can, listeners, I apologize. With that said, and speaking of tornadoes, let's get into the world of fintech. So yeah. getting, you know, coming from your background, you have plenty of financial experience. You got a lot of technology experience. It's almost like you were kind of born and bred to fall backwards into this thing that you're running today. So tell me about the early days. Tell me about kind of why bond, why now, uh, and kind of how it came together. Yeah, I'll stem from, you know, what, what we call kind of this new business model that was emerging that I was like obsessed with, which is the kind of this developer centric model. Uh, I'm a student of kind of studying business models. And so, you know, enterprise software have gone through phases where, you know, on-prem software to cloud software. And it was pretty natural to see kind of what is the next iteration after cloud. And, you know, joining Twilio was a really big eye-opener for me uh, in terms of the business model that, you know, the, the team has kind of put together, which is a developer-first approach where you make it very frictionless for your prospective customers to try you out, uh, get immediate value, the, what we call the lights-up moment, and how do you then kind of earn that right to continue to be, you know, the vendor for that particular customer and grow into very large uh, customer opportunities? You know, I was leading up all the commercial functions at Twilio, as well as another developer platform called Mapbox, which is around mapping and location. And I realized that there are many more regulated industries that can kind of 
use this approach to basically democratize their respective areas, one of which is financial services. The other one you know, I was looking at was in the healthcare industry. Mm. But fintech was one where it was so obvious in talking to large fintechs, like the first generation, like Lending Club. Uh, Tim Bogan, the chief uh, compliance officer there, was one of our earliest advisors. And you know, just chatting with him about like the, the thesis around well, how do we make it simpler for the next generation of fintech to launch a financial product? It really resonated with him because he knew that from his lending club experience, like that work with WebBank as well as all of the tech vendors is not easy. It, it took the whole company a lot of years, a lot of money to actually just get a MVP product out into the market. And as you talk to more and more fintechs, it's just it, it repeats. Every single person that wants to launch a financial product needs to go through this, this basically infrastructure build, this piping build. It made a lot of sense that this pipe should be standardized. Yeah. And, but at the same time, how do we bring different sponsor banks to the table, different kind of vendors to the table, be it KYC, KYB, or different processors such that we give our brand customers the most choice possible? That was the kind of birth of Bond. We incubated our company at a VC uh, called Canaan Partners. We raised our seed round from there, and that's how we got started in 2019. Who in the early days was kind of your vision in terms of the customer, right? Like, who did you think was going to be the biggest beneficiary from Bond? Is it going to be the next Chime, or is it going to be kind of back to your experience of like maybe Macy's should have a better card, or maybe you know X brand should have a better card or a better lending offering? Like, what what was the thesis there as far as customer base and customer? While they're not our direct customer, is right. really consumers themselves. And I've always kind of had that in mind. Like, how do we enable someone else to deliver financial service to people that need it the most or are are not well banked or well served today? You know, you're seeing even from our direct customers today, we serve populations that are historically less well banked. For me, it was, you know, the, the, the mission and the vision was really driven from the ultimate goal of driving more financial inclusion and, you know, providing more options to people who historically was just not well served by the existing financial system. And then when you work backwards, then you say, who are the best enablers to basically go distribute and market financial services to those people? And obviously today we have a huge pipeline of customers and, you know, a number of customers that we're working with that have very compelling you know, use cases uh, with Bond, it's starting to basically realize the vision that we have early days is that really making a difference in the people's lives, right? And our customers is a conduit that enables us to make, you know, our end customers' lives a little bit better every day. Yeah, it's like your your entire life almost has been this like B2B to C, like you've been the you've been the man behind the curtain kind of pulling the strings and helping people, but maybe they don't always know it's you, which I find to be a really interesting Peace. I love I love that. Um, one of the things I also realized in my during my time at Twilio is innovation is is somewhat about letting a thousand flowers bloom. Hmm. Right. A lot a lot of early stage customers that went to Twilio m- may not have been successful, but they experimented and they tried. That that stage and that prerequisite of experimentation is really important in innovation. And what you see in financial services is because the barrier to even get started is so high, Mm -hmm. you know, wow, I need to go figure out 
uh, a sponsor bank agreement. Holy cow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We have to figure out a processor agreement. Holy cow. Like how do you experiment from there? Yeah. And card so, printing. I find that one to be hilarious. How oh, do yeah, you, how printing. do you print, how do you experiment on any of these much less card printing that takes eight right. weeks? So how do we as bond become the innovation engine to lower the barrier to experimentation? Look, not every brand that comes to our platform is going to be the next chime, but that's the cost of kind of innovation, right? Like you, for, for, for every chime, there's probably a hundred or more not chimes that like learn, but was not successful, right? But as a platform, you know, we want to be able to enable, we, we want to enable experimentation, but in financial services, you obviously have to do it in a compliant way. And so that's the tricky part, right? Um, how do we allow customers to experiment and get something launched quickly, but in a compliant way so that they could test it with their like customer populations, see if they need to tweak anything and basically scale from there. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, of the inside scoop that we got as bond employees when we had Jack Dorsey on that fireside chat. Right. And that's something that you only get as a bond employee. And I'm still pretty amazed actually happened. And I think it is, you know, for the fin deep, deep fintech nerds of the world are aware, but there was a lot of pushback in the early days of cash app. Right. And Jack was kind of saying, I don't care about your pushback. We need to at least see if this thing works, right? Like not verbatim, but something along those lines. And it is that rebuilding of the wheel that is the biggest pain point, right? It's it's not the the marketing dollars. It's not any of that. It's just everybody is rebuilding this freaking wheel that's supposed to run down a road in one direction. And we're all convinced that this wheel is better than that wheel. It's like watching a Goodyear commercial and then a BF Goodrich commercial or something like that. It's just, it's a tire. Just, you know, get on the tire and let's roll down the road. But it feels to me like sometimes people just get stuck on the wrong things and get stuck on this processor versus that processor versus what you're talking about, which is how do we help people, right? Right. It's basically we're the innovation platform for financial services. That's how I would like to think about us as, which is we enable any sort of digital brand that want to kind of better engage with their customers, serve their customers better with the financial product. We allow you to kind of innovate like on us, build on us, try out these financial products and see if they're actually helping your end customers, right? Instead of having to spend years kind of planning like every detail and doing yourself and then only to realize maybe that wasn't a good fit to my customers mm -hmm. in the first place. Yeah, it's the the beauty of embedded finance and like the increased personal personalization of finance in general, which leads me to my next question that I think is kind of a unique thing about bond, but also just an interesting thing about the industry in general, which is how do you think about serving early stage startups versus maybe more established brands? I do think bond can benefit both. For some of the more established brands, they have not looked at um, financial services, you know, as a way of better engaging with customers. Uh, you well know, uh, there's a confidential, you know, Fortune 500 company we're talking to right now uh, who has historically has distributed their product via you know, resellers. And they're now trying to reown that kind of direct-to-consumer experience and not really considering financial services as a piece of the puzzle to better engage with, with, with a hugely loyal fan that they have uh, in their products. This is, I think, going to be a continual trend. I think the larger players who've never thought about financial services as a way of engaging is going to come alive and wake up. 
Um, you're already seeing this, frankly, right? With Apple and Apple Card and you know, more and more consumer. I mean, obviously Walmart has even kind of started talking about how do we you know, figure out our fintech play. And so I do think larger brands will continue to explore financial services as an avenue you know, obviously for revenue from a business model standpoint, but more importantly, how does it reinforce their existing business models? Uh, for upstarts, obviously, they're all trying to disrupt and, you know, provide something a little better or provide something that's not available in the marketplace. Um, we want to create a platform that lowers that barrier to kind of getting started. And so, you know, when we when we look at business selection, and as you know, Zach, we, we take seriously kind of who we select as our customer, just given we're an early stage company and we only have so much resources. We look at, you know, obviously the mission of the organization, you know, the team, like what kind of team do they have and who are some of their backers and, you know, really make a deliberate decision on, you know, who we want to be associated with as we, you know, continue to grow our customer base. Yeah. And to your point on the previous, on the, the fortune, you know, 1,500 or 50, we've talked to a few of them and they shall all remain nameless, but, it's interesting to think about the consultative nature of a lot of these conversations, right? To your point, it's often not about the unit economics. It's not about making the money. It's about in improving the experience, right? It's about making it easier on the end user. And there's been times when we've seen RFPs maybe for something in the credit realm, right? And we've actually pitched something in the debit realm because we look at it from first principles and we say, you know, have you thought through what happens on day 1,605 of your credit card? And are you sure that it's actually benefiting people versus maybe a more responsible approach with this other side that we're talking to you about, right? So it's interesting to me how it's not even, at least at Bond, it's not about just giving people what they say they want. It's about helping people understand what the user really needs. Right? right. And I don't even know if that's a question. I just think it's a really unique piece that we have where we're spending a lot more time with our brands and understanding how they work, who they work with and what the future really could hold for them. Yeah, I think, you know, one of our responsibilities as Bond, as, as a leader in this space is to educate the market. Right. While I think there is obviously a very vibrant fintech, fintech like ecosystem. Right. Uh, there's an entire world out there that is very unfamiliar with fintech, right? And, no, right? that's impossible. <laughs> that's unheard of, Roy. And and so I think our responsibility is to kind of, you know, educate, up-level, and, and figure out if there's a fit for, you know, customers that are less familiar. Our thesis in founding Bond is that every brand can become a fintech. We didn't say every fintech can be a fintech. We said every brand can be a fintech. And so, you know, that that's a very big that's a very big opportunity. We believe that we're in a pole position to be able to kind of articulate and educate and bring on the customers that you know we believe will have the most impact into their own like respective communities. Yeah. I mean, what really gets me out of bed in the morning is the idea of killing this word, right? Killing the word fintech and just having it be financial services, right? Because there's these these filters that you apply to this word fintech, right? It's generally good for the world. It's improving people's lives. It's maybe better. It's free for the most part. You know, they're giving you money back on your ATM withdrawals. All of these things that we kind of see as, as table stakes in fintech are fintech, right? And then there's financial services over here. So I think, you know, what gets me excited is like 10 years from now, we look back and, you know, 
all of uh, all of the early stage fundraising decks have fintech, 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 embedded fintech, 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 and the future is just financial services. This is just what finance is now, right? That's that's a beautiful future to run towards. Exactly, and consumers won't be able to kind. Of, it's so seamless to what they do every day that is no longer kind of oh well, that's the fintech or that's the financials. It's just kind of integrated in the services that they get from their respective uh, respective vendors and companies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, I, I think it's, it's the, the, the future here will benefit the consumer immensely in that, you know, consumers will also not think that, well, I can only go to a bank to kind of you know, do these things. You could do a lot of these things also with your friendly SaaS provider <laughs> or the platform that you're getting food from. Um, you know, you, you realize that, you know, financial services is just kind of already everywhere and will be integrated. And I think in the end, you know, it, it drives toward our mission of financial inclusion. We're able to kind of reach corners of the population that historically was just not well served by like the traditional financial service only uh, type of uh, models. Right. Finally meeting people where they live. Which drives me to my next and one of the final questions, which is, and a lot of this actually, we can't even say publicly fully, but we have some exciting announcements coming up with partners yeah. that will be launching soon. But the question really, just so that listeners can kind of get their heads wrapped around it, is what is Bond providing right now and what will Bond be providing within the next year or so, right? Over time, we will be a multifaceted platform of really everything fintech financial services, but kind of what are the short-term things? Yeah, our initial focus, um, as you know, Zach, is, is you know, the, the card roadmap, right? So from, you know, prepaid debits to debits to uh, credit cards of all sorts, charge cards, you know, fully revolving consumer as well as, you know, uh, corporate cards. Um, our, our focus is cards initially. And, you know, obviously this includes both physical as well as like virtual cards, but the use cases there are already pretty broad. We believe that a, a, a one of these cards is a very good conduit to getting a, a brand kind of up and running with, with an initial product, right? Obviously some of them are tied, a lot of them are tied to bank accounts. And so being able to offer this will satisfy a ton of use cases already. That said, you know, toward the end of this year, we're, we're looking at lending, right? All sorts of kind of different lending, uh, as well as, you know, over the long term, we want to be able to offer even things like, you know, insurance. But I think we want to focus. We want to focus on kind of core banking products first that we believe that our brand's partners have, are in the best position to go distribute via their own existing customer base already. Um, and then we'll continue to basically partner with and work with institutions to enable them to distribute like their products via the bond platform. You say the card stuff, right? And anybody that's built one of these things before understands the the suffering and gray hair and punishment that goes into building even one single card issuance program. So uh, that in and of itself is a, a heck of an undertaking. And I, I love, so I saw something the other day from Peter Berg, who's over at VGS and he coined a term called suffering as a service. And <laughs> I, I feel that, you know, I mean, a lot, we deal with some great partners. We have wonderful bank partners, wonderful technology partners, but it's hard, right? You're dealing with a lot of different stakeholders. You're dealing with a lot of different, nuanced details that aren't quick, right? You think about card printing and things that we were kind of joking about earlier. So it's 
just step one of this is removing a lot of suffering for founders and making the world move a lot faster, I think, when it comes to finance. And Zach, thanks for the reminder on that, right? For a lot of in fintechs today, they may have a debit card like out in the market, for example, as a first product. Launching that second is incredibly hard. Like if you mm-hmm. want to kind of get into credit or in, in another area, because potentially is a whole new different stack, a whole new different you know, set of capabilities you need to go build out and infrastructure you need to build out to offer that second product. And our thesis is that like more and more digital brands will want to become what you call a super app, right? I mean, there's this overplay thing about unbundling and then rebundling of financial services. And, you know, obviously it's already happening, right? And, you know, I think a lot of fintech started with kind of that unbundled first product and they're going to look to owning the entire experience, right? Look at where Robinhood started and where it is today. Um, Look at where Chime started and where it is today. And so, you know, having a platform like Bond where we could continue to grow with you and launch myriad kind of financial services product on one platform. So you're not rebuilding a lot of the same building blocks that are common. It's a huge, huge um, value proposition for, for brands as they're looking to embark on this financial services journey. Yeah. And it's a data problem too, right? I mean, that's one of our biggest like rallying cries that we're constantly just punching down this big brick wall of confusion is, I mean, you, you stand up product one with X provider, you stand up product two with Y provider. Now, how do they talk to each other? Right. And how do you even know who is who? And is this person has this debit card, but this credit card, how do they correlate? And just the idea of being able to start from scratch with one provider that has a single user ID attached to this novel idea of them being a human, that alone is is somehow innovation in the space, right? Which is is great that the fruit hangs that low, but also like, whoo, gets me. Actually, Roy, I'm gonna have to leave and go start a fintech now because I've uh, <laughs> I've said enough out loud that I'm realizing that maybe I should go found a company with the opportunity here. <laughs> I, you you spot on, I think, on the data side, right? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of plumbing there uh, that we're building. But in the end, like, you know, we invested in data science very early as a company, as you know, we have a, a team of data scientists that have already, like from the beginning, as we're building out the API suite and Bond OS, we focus on the data side because we know what is going to be the future, right? The first stage of Bond is really providing the infrastructure and the plumbing that enable these programs to, to be successful and scale. But the reality is there's going to be a lot of data traversing through this platform and this plumbing. How do we make sense of this data that enable our brands to steer and direct their programs and launch their next programs? Um, how do we enable bank partners to have visibility, the appropriate level of visibility to manage their risk? And how do we enable them to basically you know, satisfy the regular regulators' requirements right, in terms of these partnerships? And so... The data side is incredibly important, as you pointed out, that, you know, I think it's building the plumbing to just get someone up and running. I don't think is it's hard, but, you know, the the I think long game here is really the, the possibility of data to really make this type of partnership model sustainable and be a you know established kind of model for fintechs and brands to like work together on. Yeah, it's it's the future. It's the future in so many ways. And you being the CEO and having, uh, you know, a thing or two on your calendar, I know we're coming up on time here. So I'm going to finish with my last question, which for external guests is a little different than internal guests. But the question is just what can the listener base do to help you? And I'm guessing the answer is look at the job board. But 
I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> well, we're, we're hiring. Um, we're, we're close to doubling our team, I think by the end of this year. And, you know, obviously looking for great people who are passionate about like our mission and what we're building and passionate about like helping our customers kind of launch these programs to really serve uh, the community. And second piece, obviously, if you, you have a interesting kind of fintech product that you want to go launch, uh, and you want a partner to kind of help you experiment, reach out to us. Uh, you could be a small startup, uh, earlier stage to, you know, even a, you know, Fortune X company looking to innovate. Um, you know, we have a team, we, we probably have one of the most seasoned teams with the most experience in the industry to kind of help you navigate through that. And to your point earlier, Zach, around kind of this more consultative approach, we know that not everybody is from fintech. You know, you may be a very big company, but unfamiliar with fintech. Yep. Uh, we're here to help. I love it. I love it. Roy, I appreciate your time, my friend. I love actually getting to spend an hour with you instead of our little half hour one-on-ones. I can't wait to see in person sometime this year. Fingers crossed. And uh, I appreciate it. This has been good. I've learned a lot and I hope the listeners did too. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Interchange with Roy Ng. As I said at the beginning, Interchange was founded inside of Bond to benefit the founders, bankers, and humans working inside the next generation of financial services. We hope that you're learning, enjoying, and maybe even laughing along. We really do love this world and we're passionate about every piece of it. And that's why we want to help. Let us know what you'd like to learn more about, who you'd like to hear from, and what's getting you out of bed in this wild world of fintech in which we live. If you'd like to learn more about Bond, please reach out. You can get a hold of me at Zach at Bond.tech. Let's start a conversation. Check out the show notes and the Bond blog for a deeper dive if you're still listening and just can't get enough. All of this can be found at bond.tech. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and a rating in your favorite podcast app. It would be appreciated. Until our next interchange. <laughs>